Tuesday, November 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Molly Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks Chris. for doing this. Oh, it's always as, always fun. Because as as listeners know, we're not actually here. It's not actually we're we're here. <laughs> well, it's just not actually Tuesday because we're at Foolapalooza, which is what uh, it's our annual meeting here is, at the Motley Fool, and it's quite fun. It is quite fun. Um, although Tuesday, November third, I think it's fair to predict that some of our coworkers are going to be in pain that day. <laughs> because they might have been having a little bit too much fun the night before. Yeah, right. It, it's not all fun. It's it's half work, half fun. Oh but, yeah, no, but, no, no. But there is the, there the is fun a, on the night of can get. There is there is a two day business meeting, but this is the Motley Fool, so we want to we want to have a little fun. There are activities, there are games, um, and there is there is nighttime. There's camaraderie. There is camaraderie. There is also some nighttime revelry. <laughs> and again, for 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 those, I'm old. I, I never make it. I was just gonna late. say for for people like you and me who are not only <laughs> older but also experienced foolapaloozers. Correct. <laughs> uh, we're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine <laughs> exactly. on Tuesday. But for some of the younger ones uh, who, it gets risky. It gets a little risky. Um, <laughs> last week on Motley Fool Money. Uh, it was one of those weeks when it's in the thick of earnings season. There are just so many stories. We don't have enough time in the show to cover them all. And one of those stories that that sort of fell by the wayside that we didn't talk about, I wanted to touch on because I know it's a company that you've followed in the past, and that's Coach. Yeah. Because shares of Coach were up last week. First, they it looks like they had a good quarter. Their first quarter profits and revenue were higher than expected, and. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about it because it is a recommendation in multiple Motley Fool services. Um, so, so it's one I don't like to see fall by the wayside. So, here's here's a couple things. The, the Reuters headline for this earnings report is slowest sales decline in nine quarters, and that was supposed to be like upbeat. wait a second, slowest <laughs> sales decline in nine quarters, which is a good thing. It is, right? but that is such that is the, that is the <laughs> definition of damning with faint praise. Right. So they beat expectations, and that's because that expectations were quite low. Um, this company has been in a in a, a needed transformation phase for quite some time, which involved bringing in a new design chief, Stuart Vivers, um, revamping their stores, um, revamp, you know, bringing out new lines, um, focusing on some of the men's products, China, Europe, um, and the company was getting getting its its lunch eaten by folks like Michael Kors and, and Kate Spade, who, by the way, are, are also struggling this year. Socks, both stocks have been hurt pretty hard, but they, they were beating uh, Coach at its own game for quite some time. So Coach is in this kind of kind of phase where they're they're trying to rebuild, and they seem to be making some progress. And if this latest quarter is any indication, they may be on their way to to turning the corner. For example. Um, guidance was that they'll return to top line growth in in fiscal 2016, um, which would be uh, as as that headline stated, um, new for them. Um, they they're not making money. Um, profits continue to decline. Their same store sales in North America were down 9.5 percent for this quarter. Oof. That beat expectations and supposedly <laughs> is upbeat. So they're not out of the woods. They have a, a plenty plenty to do, um, but it appears that at least they're on the right track. Do you think that? Well, let me back up. Yeah. When a company is in need of a turnaround, as an investor, 
where do you want to get in? Because there are always going to be investors out there who say, "I want to, I want to time this perfectly." Right. That's and maybe that's that's uh, an aspirational sure, way. It's to impossible think. to do it. But anyway. what what is your w- way of approaching a turnaround situation? So it depends on your individual risk tolerance. If you want to try to get in, re- get in really early, where if you're right, you'll make the highest rate of return, then. That's fine, but when getting in really early, it's also the hardest to predict because you have no indication, no evidence yet that a turnaround is is taking hold. If you're the kind of investor that doesn't want to take on that risk and you wait a bit of time to see things kind of start to fall into place, you will miss part of the upside. Probably not all of the upside because there's still risk that that things continue to go well, but you will miss all of the upside. But on balance, I think that's a better way for the average investor to go because it's a little less risky. As a result, you give up a little bit of return. Risk and return are correlated, but I think for the average investor, that makes the most sense. You think this stock is cheap where it is right now? That's a great question. So the stock is trading almost nine times EBITDA, which is a, a, a simplistic measure of cash flow. Um, but that's because the business is struggling, and the the EBITDA is only around nine hundred and twenty million right now for the, for the last twelve months. If they can get back to where they historically were, around one point five or one point six billion, well, then all of a sudden the EBITDA multiple drops to only five times. So that would be a normalized EBITDA multiple of only five times, which would indicate that this stock is cheap, and so it still always gets right back down to can they turn this corner and get back to their historical levels of cash flow. The guest on the radio show last week was Nicole Sinclair from Yahoo Finance. We talked a good bit about the holiday forecast for retailers and consumers. The overwhelming majority of holiday shopping is done in November and December. And in my case, it's basically like the last two <laughs> the weeks. Last, the last, last, two weeks <laughs> last two weeks of December. Um, when you look out at this upcoming holiday season, what do you see? Uh, everything I'm reading is indicating that it's going to be decent to good, but it's not going to knock the cover off the ball. I've seen estimates of of growth of around 3.7%. That's a little light when you look at average growth over the last 10 years or so, which is probably closer to 4%, maybe 3.94%. So, it's a little light. Um, FedEx did come out and make some positive statements. They, they think they're going to see a 12% growth in shipments, um, which would bode well for the holiday season if they're correct. You know, we're in an environment where we have low gas prices. Unemployment is is relatively um, healthy. People are working. The big linchpin, as we say time and time again, is wages. Wages have been real stagnant, and people are not feeling wealthier. Um, even though the stock market is decent, you know, we haven't had much of a stock market this year. But in general, October was pretty good. October was really strong. Um, but you know, for the most part, people are employed and and they're not spending a lot at the pump, and they do theoretically have money to spend on the holiday season. And then then there's the whole battle between saving and spending. So I expect it to look pretty good, but not the best we've seen, um, you know, in, in in some 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 years. Yeah, Jason Moser on the uh, on the radio show raised this idea of the gadget. There's no hot gadget, and sort of wondering what would be that. Right. I don't think there is one. I can't. I can't think of anything specific. It's the same old kind of. You know, consumer electronics are always, always relatively strong. Whether it's you know 
headphone noise canceling canceling headphones or you know kind of a, a smaller ticket item like maybe that can Amazon Fire. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going out and spending a ton of money on an iPad or a laptop for someone. Um, but I, nothing nothing jumps out at me. There's no new hot Xbox or PlayStation that I'm aware of that that's people are going to be running to the stores for. I, I have to imagine that that. I don't want to say it weighs on retailers, but retailers would always rather there be a hot guy. I just think it adds to the overall buzz, the overall enthusiasm for the season. And yeah, I think that this, is, this season's enthusiasm is going to be based on promotions and sales, which is going to drive um, the sales. But there will probably margins might suffer as a result. But I, I do expect to see a relatively promotional holiday season. You're a former hedge fund guy. I'm curious what you think as you watch the drama playing out uh, with Valiant Pharmaceuticals and specifically Bill Ackman, the activist investor who Ackman has been, he's been very publicly involved in some of the biggest fights really <laughs> sure. yeah. uh, just uh, on one side or the other of companies like Target, JCPenney, Herbalife. We'll get back to Herbalife in a second, but um, we were talking before we started taping. I, I, with with all due respect to Bill Ackman, and he's not the only one who does this, but it really seems like he's getting highly personal with his investments, yeah. and that seems to run counter to everything we try to espouse here at The Motley Fool. Which I think is right, and, and we should continue to do so. These hedge fund guys, especially the guys that are famous, the guys that take their time to go on CNBC um, because they like to see themselves on television and they like to talk up their book, these are passionate people. They're hardworking, very smart people as well, but they're very passionate and sometimes highly emotional about making money and making money for their investors. Um, they don't like to be wrong. They don't like to be embarrassed. Um, and because of that, they do their diligence. They do a lot of work. And if they're taken by surprise, or perhaps they miss something in investment, they don't like that. And you know what? They shouldn't like it because there's a lot of money at risk here. Um, so these things can get pretty heated. They can get pretty emotional. Uh, and you usually can look to a hedge fund guy who who's made a very large investment in a particular company. To you know, you can count on the fact that he did his homework. He didn't just you know wake up one morning and, and throw a dart and, and say let's buy that stock. He's he's got his analysts and he's got his sell side guys and, and they're doing a lot of diligence. But you know what? We don't always get it right. They don't always get it right. Um, certainly, uh, Ackman has made made his share of mistakes, but they they certainly do the work. And lest anyone think that it's only the hedge fund people, the the activist investors who are getting personal. Uh, late last week, Herbalife, yeah, and and Bill Ackman had he had shorted because he that was the one where he and Carl Icahn were, Correct. and Icahn was. Was he was long? He and, was long. And Herbalife was and Ackman was short, and so Herbalife went out of their way to issue a statement saying, "I hope." Uh, and this is from Alan Hoffman, executive VP of Global Corporate Affairs, saying, "I hope Bill Ackman has done more research on Valiant Pharmaceuticals than he did on Herbalife, Target, Borders, and J.C. Penney." <laughs> that, that's a little petty, in my it, opinion. I bet I bet they were loving doing that, and they were high fiving each other. But it's a little bit childish. I think I would have just stayed away from it. Yeah, and that's. I mean, the numbers are important, but and I've said this before. I think the one of the main reasons to actually listen to a conference call. 
is to get a sense of the tone. I think tone matters when you're talking about company leadership and and I'm not an Herbalife shareholder, but I think if I was, I would not be happy about this. Yeah, it's not the the kind of tone like, you want your leaders yeah, and managers to take. Yeah, get back to the business. Right. How about you actually get back to running the business <laughs> that I'm a part owner of? There's an idea. Uh, before we wrap up, we'll dip into the full mailbag. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Harry, who writes, First off, I love your show and listen to it daily during my commute. I'm in my late 20s and have been mostly investing for the long term. Lately, I've been looking at ex-leveraged ETFs, especially LABU, LABU, which is a triple-leveraged ETF tracking biotech indices. If I'm not wrong, The Motley Fool advocates owning pieces of businesses and hence focuses mainly on individual stocks. I was wondering what you thought of such ETFs. The multiple factor gets me interested over a very long term, say 20, 30 years or so. Am I wrong to think that these ETFs would significantly outperform the market? What would be the risks owning such ETFs? Hmm. There's a lot, lot, lot in there. And I hope your commute is going well, Harry. Thank you for the question. Um, first, um, Triple leverage, triple leverage. Smacks of so the, risk. These are me. these are instruments that use debt and or derivatives to magnify or amplify the returns of something. Usually an index, like a, like in his case, a biotech index. Um, in general, when we say at the fool that we're, we're big believers in investing in businesses, that is true. We but we really don't have any problem with investing in a good old solid index fund either, like the Vanguard five hundred. Um, or perhaps the S&P 500 spiders, ticker symbol SPY, which is an ETF um, that mirrors the S&P 500. So, I I think that's fine, and I, I honestly have a significant percentage of my portfolio invested in index, index funds such as those, and then I own individual stocks with the rest. So, in general, um, not a problem, but I do have a problem with these leveraged um, ones that amplify or magnify results. Uh, they're really not out there for the average Joe investor. Um, they're meant for people who like to trade, who want to make short-term bets, or who or potentially want to hedge some type of exposure. Very often, if you read read through the, the prospectus or, or some of the literature, these things there'll be warnings that say you shouldn't hold this for long periods of time, or if sometimes not even overnight. You should close out your position. Not overnight. Sometimes you should close out your position and not hold overnight. Um, these are often very expensive from an expense ratio perspective because they're doing things with debt and derivatives, um, so they're not. From that perspective, um, and of course, uh, the the two or three times exposure it can go against you. It's, it, I mean, if you're wrong, you can really, really um, lose your shirt on some of these things. And then to make matters worse, there's actually some structural problems with some of these, um, where the actual share price of the ETF deviates sometimes significantly from the value of the actual underlying asset, which creates problems as well. So, my advice would be to stay far away. If you want to invest in an ETF or, or an index fund, that's fine. Do something like a Spider or a Russell 2000 ETF, something that you you know you can track and you know what you're getting. It, it closely mirrors the index that it's meant to mirror, um, and I would stay away from these leveraged ones. I will say, though, the, I think the, the mentality that Harry has in terms of you know his age, he's in his late 20s, mm-hmm. And he's thinking over a two, three decade period. We've talked before about the the magic of compounding, and that's the beautiful thing. If you're if you're a teenager, if you're in your twenties, thirties, 
absolutely. Even your forties, you've you know you've got decades to go in terms of compounding. Yeah, and you can do that with individual stocks. The rule of seven tells you that your money will double every seven years at a ten percent interest rate, ten um, percent return. Um, and if you're in your twenties, you have many multiple periods of seven years for which to to double and double and double again uh, your money. And the best way to do that is in individual stocks. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday.